we've been going through a sermon series titled Christmas, a story of love and war. Today is that the last sermon in that series. And um, so it's fitting that it ends in the book of Revelation. The reason is because is there's a second advent, right? And that's what we're going to look at today. What, what does it look like for this thing to come to conclusion? Every story needs that. We began the story, it was started in the beginning, right? God. And we started in the garden, and we worked our way to Isaiah. Then we went to Luke. Well, well now, and then we went to Hebrews, and we talked about that Jesus accomplished many things in his coming. One of them was defeating Satan, sin, and death, right? But not fully and finally, but what we're going to read today is he definitely destroys him once and for all. That's, if you're in Christ, that's your future. That's good news. That's good news in a big way. So, hey, who here's made a New Year's resolution? Hands up. A couple of you. Uh, this year. This year. Okay, a couple. All right, good. Hey, by the way, we love new beginnings, don't we? We do. Like, nothing magical happened with the turn of the calendar, but for whatever reason, we feel better about it. Like, Gone is 2021, right? Come on, 2022. There, there's just something about new beginnings that we enjoy. We start every year thinking this is the year. This is the one. This is where we get it right, right? Um, we resolve in so many ways to turn over a new leaf. And, and I think that's a good thing. But this year we're serious. Gosh darn it, this year we're going to do it. And, and this is how most people start their year. Do you know what the five most popular New Year's resolutions are? I looked them up because I was really curious. What, what is it that the world's longing for? And many times you can tell based upon New Year's resolutions. So every year I go and I look up the top 10, top 20, top this. I'm not going to bore you with 20 of them, but I'm going to give you five of them. You ready? None of them will surprise you, by the way. The first one, exercise to get in shape. I, I don't exercise that much, and I, I have a shape. It's kind of like a pear, right? Um, second one, diet in order to lose weight. Sounds like number one, but it's a little different, right? So like you got Weight Watchers, South Beach, all these different things. You know, getting in shape, you know, gym memberships always go up at the beginning of the year. Those are good things. You can download Noom. Have you heard of this? It's all the rave. I looked it up. I had no clue, but there it was. Peloton, exercise programs, all of it. You can do all those things. How about number three? Save money. Moolah, right? Got to save some cash, especially after we blew it in the last three months, right? Yeah, so you can download apps to do that. You can take online courses. It's a good thing, right? How about eat healthier? Anyone wanting to do that? Shove your face full of kale and all the things that the things I eat eats, right? You can go vegan, caveman, whatever you're into. How about the last one? Just in case we miss something. Something for self-care. That's the top five. That's the top five, right? Um, by the way, I love the last one because they just, in case we miss something, just in case, like if it's not diet, if it's not exercise, if it's not saving money, if, it's, if we miss something that you, it's all about you, have missed, how about just do something for self-care? Okay, well, good. Uh, by the way, I want, I want you to know that a thinner, more healthy Ripped six-pack abs, cash falling out the pockets, kale dripping from your beard version of you is still going to just be in a broken world. But it doesn't fix all the problems. It may fix some, though, 
right? You'll be healthier. You'll get to live longer. But, you know, no matter how serious you are in regards to those, you're still junior varsity in comparison to a man named Jonathan Edwards. I, I don't know if many of you have heard of this guy. Um, this, this preacher was most famous for the first great awakening and, and a sermon that was entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But, you know, before this guy became a famous preacher and theologian, he wrote a list of 70, 70 life, not year, life resolutions as a teenager. <laughs> By the way, if you want to feel, no one ever wants to feel like pond scum, but if you're just ever feeling like, I need a little help with humility, take the time to look up all 70 of his life resolutions. It will take resolution just to read them all. I read them yesterday, and there was a couple of times I wanted to tap out because I just felt so bad about my life. Like, this guy was intense. Whew. This man's aim was godliness and the glory of God, and, and he is a great value to the church even in this time. I'm not going to read all 70 because we would never be done today, but I am going to read one, and it's number seven. You ready? Here, here's one of his resolutions as a teenager. Tell me if this was your resolution as a teenager. This is great. Resolved. That's how he starts. Never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. You want more of that? There's 69 more to go. And some of them are very lengthy. What's he saying? He's saying that... I don't want to do anything that would bring shame to my name or to my Lord when I stand before him. If he comes back, I want him to find me joyfully laboring in love for the name and renown of Christ. As a teenager, oh, it's beautiful. We should never think, teen, teen, the whole, I'm going to go on a little soapbox. We should never think that God can't do mighty things through teenagers. And we chalk them up and we just say, ah, oh, they're just teens. Teens was a whole construct created to just extend adolescence. It's almost embarrassing. But it's what it is. Not going there today because we'll never get off that soapbox. So here's my question for you, though. Is that how you live? Just take an honest inventory of yourself. Is that how you live? I hope so because it's absolute reality. It is absolute reality. You will stand before your Lord. You will give an account for your life. In, in Jesus' first coming, he came humbly as a baby to the earth, uh, a, a baby in the manger, right? He, he fulfilled all, many of the prophecies spoke in the Bible uh, about his birth, his life, his ministry, his resurrection, his ascension, many of them. Jesus came full of grace and truth. He put on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. But his primary task in coming the first time was to save sinners, to bring sinful humanity into the presence of God, to make a way for a holy God to interact with a sinful humanity. That's why he came. In his second coming, Jesus will not come as the suffering servant. He will not. He will come as a conquering king. That's how he's coming. He is going to come as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And while the Bible is, is not clear as to when Jesus will return, and if you're like, yes, it is. You're weird. You're wrong. No, it's not. 
it is clear about what he will accomplish as far as major themes go. Now, how it'll look like and all those things, we could debate on that all day. We ought to debate in a stance of humility, and we ought to debate with, with really a humble posture of not knowing because it hasn't happened yet. But you should maybe know what you believe and believe that, but not hold to it so tightly because it hasn't happened. But we can be clear on what the Bible says he will accomplish as far as major themes go. What will happen when Jesus rips open the sky and returns, steps back into human history for his triumphant return? That's the question I want to answer today. So, uh, yeah, Romans, no, Revelation, we're going to be in 19 and 20 primarily. We're going to start in Revelation 19, and I'm going to read 11 through 16. That's going to be the first text we look at, okay? So I'm going to read it, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible open, uh, that's okay. Listen as I read. But I do want to encourage you to do that. I want you to see the realities in the Bible as I read them. It begins, then I, the I here is the Apostle John, okay? The Lord gave him a picture of what it's going to happen in the future. By the way, the book of Revelation isn't scary for the Christians. As a matter of fact, it was written to embolden and give us courage to finish well. That's why the book was written. And we get so strange when we get into all the other things. But I want you to understand, you should read this. You should study it. You should know it. Why? Because it's going to give you hope. Who here could not use more hope in 2022? No hands. Right. Okay, good. Then I, the the Apostle John says, saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. Notice, not a donkey. A white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is not wimpy, feathered-haired, floating around like a glow bug Jesus. He's coming in righteousness. He's coming to judge. He's coming to make war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or you could say crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the Word of God. The armies of heaven. Notice it says armies. What is that? Who is that? My my best answer to that is angels and saints that'd be you you ever thought about you're going to be in the army the army of the lord whoo you're coming with them that's cool arrayed in fine linen white and pure by the way if you've ever been in a fight you don't generally wear white unless you think you're going to win right because it's going to get messy people who wear white to a fight you should be terrified right linen and pure They're following him while on horses. And listen, from his mouth comes a sharp sword which which to strike down the nations. By the way, there's there's allegory here. I don't really think Jesus got a sword coming out of his mouth. It's the word of God which is sharp, which is going to strike down everything. And it's going to cease everything because God's word is powerful, right? That's what's coming from his mouth. Truth. And no one can deny it in that moment. It's going to happen. And he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is a a stunning picture. It's a stunning picture if you'll read it with, with fresh eyes, 
This is going to happen. Ah, I don't know. No, it's going to happen. Listen, as grapes are crushed to, and broken in order to release wine or juice, the bodies of God's enemies will be smashed in bloody defeat. That's what the Bible just said. That's what the Bible just said. The triumphant warrior Jesus Christ fire in his eyes what's that refining seeing all things that are true sword coming out of his mouth not really but it's the word that's coming out of his mouth mounted on a white horse dressed in a robe that has been dipped in blood whose blood is that I don't know I read a couple commentaries here's what I would say I'd say it's his because the fight hasn't happened yet but I would say it's his that's and why do I say that because I think it's a fresh reminder that this was shed to save you and you chose otherwise he's coming to judge. You got nothing to say. I've done it all. You chose otherwise, dipped in blood. Okay. He's tatted up, maybe, right? Because it it does say, King of kings, Lord of lords, written on his robe and on his thigh. This is a different version than Jesus that we many times get. By the way, for all my tatted friends, it's it's biblical, right? (laughs) This is way different than six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus with chubby cheeks and spikes shooting out of his face. This is wildly different. But this is our God. This is kind of like, this is going to miss most of you, kind of like Iron Mike Tyson coming to the ring. Now, if you've never watched boxing, I don't care. But you ought to watch that because it will send you into fear. He was coming to destroy anything that got in the way of him. But here's the difference. He's, Jesus isn't coming to eat ears. That's what Tyson did, right? He came and he bit Evander Holyfield's ear. If you don't know anything about that, it's because you're young. I'm old. But he's coming to judge. He's coming to make war. You know, there's some that don't like this vision. I don't, I don't like this. It's frightening. It's scary. That's not the Jesus I know, but this is the Jesus of the Bible. You have to let the Word of God wreck your constructs of a fake Jesus. You just have to. I I want the Jesus that clearly tells us who He is from His Word. And anytime it makes me uncomfortable, then it's me who needs to get in line. It's me who needs to change. I'll tell you this. This is a great way to get kids interested in the Bible. We used to have these neighborhood boys. They always liked to fight. And I would try to talk to them about the Bible. And they're like, yeah, whatever, Pastor Scott, get out of here. And my wife would always make pancakes and they would always land there. So then there would be times where I would read them stories like this or David and Goliath and all these different things. And I would just talk to them. You know, what's in you is good, but it, it, needs, it needs redeemed, right? But there is a God who fights for you. I, I, I love this picture. Why? Don't miss the beauty. Jesus wins. Simply put, Jesus wins. (laughs) That's good. Church, you are on the winning side of history. I know lots of people want to tell you that that's not the case. The church is in trouble. Numbers are shrinking. No one's going. No one's giving. It's horrible. Ah! That might explain the American church because I think we got cocky and we lost our way and we forgot to make disciples. But I want you to know along the way and in throughout the world the tri- the, the gospel is triumphing the church jesus said i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail that promise he is doing 
right now. He's doing it right now. He will win. This is good news. The vision that that we just got from chapter 19 is good news to a suffering world. We need this. Last year was a hard year. For some of you, it was much harder than most. Because I know, because you've told me about your suffering. Some of you haven't told me about your suffering, but I can see it in your eyes. Some of you, was like, this is the greatest year I've had in a long time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right? Because in every year, God's grace is sufficient. It's good. He's doing good things. But, but overall, it's a hard year. last couple years have been hard. You've said goodbye to people you love. Loved ones had died last year. Right? Um, many became seriously ill. There were mass shootings. Um, many people are concerned they don't have enough money for retirement. Some don't. Some just think that they need to have like all the bling and they just need to rebudget. Hate crimes, government corruption, people become terminally ill, terrorism. All those things seemed amplified in the last couple years, didn't they? Or is it just me? It really did. Just this past Wednesday, by the way, there was a report of an Islamic terrorist uh, who, he's an Islamic extremist who decapitated a pastor, handed his severed head to his wife, made her carry it to the police station. That woman's longing for that picture. That woman's longing for justice. If you've suffered enough, you'll long too. And she'll get it. That day will come. Now, hopefully, her prayer is that they would repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of sin and salvation. And that ought to be our prayer. We have no human enemies. But there's a day when Jesus will return and he will bring an end to all rebellion. And I long for it. He's coming to crush the head of Satan once for all. He's coming to make war. So look with me, Revelation 20, 9 through 10. You're going to see it. By the way, I recommend that you go and read 19, 20, 21, and 22 today. All of it. Because I can't cover it all. If I, well, I could actually, but some of you would not endure. <clears throat> 29 through 10. And they marched up over the broad plain. By the way, I was standing in Mount Carmel uh, overlooking the valley of Armageddon uh, physically. I was doing that one day and I envisioned this moment and all the things that were said that were going to happen. It's a wild scene if you'll look at it in real reality, right? On the earth, of the earth, and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem. But listen, so they're going to make war on Jesus. They're going to make war on the people. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Not much of a war. Not much of a war. Oh, you're ready to fight? God says. Okay. Fire comes down and consumes them. And the devil who had, been, who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Our culture loves to poke fun at the thought and the reality of an eternal hell. It does. They they use silly imagery, right? 
you know, quote unquote, they'll say Satan's actually in charge of hell and, and his demons, they live there with like little pitchforks and they, they just poke you to torment you all the time. Or they'll give this picture of we're just going to party there all of eternity, right? It's going to be a great time. ACDC is going to be leading worship and, and we're going to like worship our father below. That's silliness. It's worse than silliness, actually. The only problem with that thought is the Bible and absolute reality. It's not, it's not what's going to happen. The truth is, listen, Satan is not the ruler of hell. Satan doesn't rule hell. God does. It's King Jesus who's in charge. Now, now get this, right? Because hell many times is explained as the absence of, the present, of God, of God's presence. But, but I don't think that's actually true at all. He is very present. He's present in his wrath, though. That's terrifying. I can't go there long. Hell is the absence of God's grace and mercy, but it is not absence from his wrath. Satan don't rule anything. He's under the thumb of God. He calls down fire. It's over right now. Set up shop. Kingdom come in full now. That's reality. He's also going to judge though. Look at Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him, King Jesus, that's the him, by the way, who is seated on it. From his presence, listen, from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. What's being said there? There's, there's going to be no place for the kings and for the kingdoms of this earth to hide from King Jesus. You can go nowhere. He will see you. He will find you. And it says, and I saw the dead, great and small, everyone, everyone. I get no pleasure in saying this, by the way. Betty White will be there at the judgment, right? Who else will be there? Everyone, great and small. The people that you thought were so insignificant, you should never give your time or energy to love. They'll be there. The people who you think are so worthy of all your time and attention will be there. Everyone in between will be there. Standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. By the way, if you're in Christ, your name's written in that book. That's the best news you're going to hear. Rejoice over that. Rejoice in the fact that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Huh. No matter how bad your day has been, your year has been, your life has been, that is good news, my friend. Because on this side of eternity, all suffering is temporary. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is real. Hell is terrible. Hell is eternal. And I don't care how many people want to rewrite that thought. The reality is the same. It's extremely hard to think about. It's even more challenging to comprehend. And if you were to do that often, you'll end up writing probably some really cool music, but you'll go depressed. Charles Spurgeon rightly began a sermon on the eternal consciousness of the torment of hell. And he began it this way. 
He said, Beloved, these are such weighty things that while I dwell upon them, I feel far more inclined to sit down and weep than to stand up and speak to you. May that be our attitude at For the City Church. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so his children ought not either. We long to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness of sins. And I don't care how wicked or bad the human is. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, save them. Save them. Regardless of whether or not you like this vision is actually irrelevant. I'm not saying your thoughts or your feelings are irrelevant, but they really are in the sense that you need the stunning reality of what's to come. You need to see it. You need to look at it. Every one of us have a divine appointment with the judge, with King Jesus, and, and it cannot be avoided. There's no place for you to run. People don't want to see this. They don't want to think about this because they just want to go on living their lives. But here's the day. Judgment day is coming and everyone will rise from the grave. There, there is a second death and that death is eternal. That's coming. But for those who are in Christ, which I'm guessing is the vast majority in this room, you will go on to everlasting life, real life, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time looking. Why? Because I, I want you to have a vision for your future, and I don't mean 2022. I want you to have a vision for what God has in store for his children. I can't do it all in the amount of time that we have left, so you ought to do that work too. You ought to get your head in the clouds. You know what I mean by that? You ought to set your sight and your mind on the second coming. The church ought to do this. Why? Because it will help you understand a bad day in comparison to a stunning reality of what's to come forever. Okay? So, we will worship with our brothers and sisters forever in eternity with King Jesus. That's our future. Before we move into that, though, everyone's going to stand and give an account. Everybody's going to stand and give an account. On that day, there will be a day of judgment and there will be a day of salvation. Wrath for the enemies of Christ. Satan, demons, and unrepentant sinners go to the lake of fire. Salvation and endless blessing for those who are in Christ, covered by the blood of Christ. That's beautiful. So that's point one, okay? Here's point two. Jesus will lift the curse. He will make all things new and bring shalom. And if you missed point one, because I don't think I actually said it, here was point one. Jesus will make war and judge the living and the dead. Hopefully, even though I didn't say those words, you got the point. Ready? We're going to look at Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Notice, not a garden, but a city. People are like, I don't like cities. Well, you're going to live in one forever. (laughs) So get used to it. But this one's full of redeemed image bearers. I love it, man. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Man, just there's so much packed into that verse So much hope. The story of redemption. By the way, it's it's a story of restoration, not replacement. And I love that. Our God is a redeeming God. 
We see it here. Jesus is, is not making all new things. It's not what the text says. He's making all things new. He's redeeming. He's restoring. You're going to live in a physical place with a physical body that has been resurrected with no sin, no brokenness, with a, a real present God and nothing to hinder it. The Bible has many things to say about the imagery that's to come. Lions will lay down with lambs. That's pretty cool. That happens now, by the way, but it looks different. Lions lay down with lambs now, if you watch National Geographic, but it does look different. The, the Bible talks, they're going to lay down and chew grass together. You don't see that on the National Geographic, right? They're going to be friends. Sharks will swim with seals. Think about that. Great whites and seals swimming. Mountaintops will drip sweet wine. I know all my fundamentalist friends are like, oh, don't say that. Sweet wine comes down from the mountain. Get a cup. Lap it up. Enjoy it. You won't get drunk because it's heaven. Hills will flow with milk and honey. I mean, this is imagery, but do you see the beauty? Do you see the imagery that the Bible is painting? The Dead Sea will come to life. I Listen, who here has ever been to the Dead Sea? A couple. Okay, cool. Good. It's pretty gnarly, by the way. You go to this beach, guess what's not there? Sand. Guess what is there? Salt. Salt. And I'm like, I wonder how far this goes down. So I dug and I dug and I dug and finished. You do get the mud, right? And this mud, they can sell for lots of money because it cures everything. Not really. But here's what I want you to know. You go into that sea, you will float because it's the, the density of the, of the salt. There's nothing in it. Hence, they call it the Dead Sea. Water is going to come, the Bible says in Ezekiel. It's going to come down and it's going to make all the deserts bloom and roses and flowers. And it's going to go into the Dead Sea and it's going to come to life. Picture, it's a stunning thought. Everything that was dead is now life. Everything that is wrong is now righted. There will be no need for the sunshine. Why? Because the glory of the Lord will radiate over all. There will be no night. This is, this is something you should give your thought to. Let's continue on. And I heard a loud voice and from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear. By the way, not just the ones that you've shed but the ones you've caused. Think about that. Everyone in here, if they think, has regret. You can't live this life long enough without regret. He'll wipe away your tears, but he'll wipe away the tears you caused. That's a beautiful thought. That's a beautiful thought. Death shall be no more. Oh, that's good. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus is going to redeem it all. <laughs> That's your future, church. And he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty. Anyone here thirsty? Don't raise your hand. And I don't mean for H2O. I mean for the Lord. 
I hope you are. Because he, he doesn't say to the believers. He says to the thirsty. Those who are longing for me. Those who are waiting for me. Those who treasure me. Are you thirsty for Jesus? It's a real question I'm asking you. I don't want you to answer me right now in this moment, but I want you to answer that question. Are you thirsty? Are you longing for Christ? Because here's my concern. Some of you are not. Some of you are not. I've had seasons in my life where I'm not thirsty for God as a believer. I want you to know that. I've had my desert moments. I have. It's going to happen. But... But are you not thirsty for God because you're so saturated and drunk on the world you have no time for God? Because that's not okay. That's not okay. It's not good. There are times where, where I'm not thirsty for God, but I'm doing the things. I'm reading the Word. I'm praying. I'm crying out. I'm asking Him to help me, but my spiritual taste buds are dry. It's dry. It's not thirsty. I feel numb the present reality of what is but I'm, I'm asking and I'm seeking but I want you to know the same is true about the times where I'm not thirsty but it's because I'm not seeking and I'm not drinking I'm not going to living water because I'm just so full of Mountain Dew of the world oh don't let that be you this year and if it is <laughs> it's never too late to turn until it's too late but while you're on this side, drink. Go to the fountain of grace. Drink. Read the word. Read the word with us. If you're not going to do that, then have a plan. Meet God. Read his word. Don't just read books about God either. Don't just read articles about God. If you need to start there, start there. But get into the word. The word of God is living and active. It is what you need. You need bread that comes down from heaven. You need true food. You need true drink. And he says unto the thirsty, listen, I will give. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Listen, there's coming a day when your thirst will be satisfied. Till then, oh, let us be a thirsty people. Let us come and drink. All evil, corruption, unbelief, and darkness will be banished. That's a good thought. That's a great thought. All tears of sadness, death, mourning, crying, and all pain, whether it's emotional or whether it's physical, will be gone. But what makes the new heaven and the new earth amazing, stunningly amazing, is not the absence of things we dislike. Although, that's awesome. That's awesome. But that's not what makes it stunningly amazing. Instead, it is the presence of God that makes everything glorious. If you could have a, a new heaven and a new earth where all is well, but God, first off, doesn't work theologically, but work with me. All, no one gets sick. Your, your pets always live. Everybody's happy. It lasts forever, but you don't have God. Would you take that? And if you did, I'm telling you, you'd be a fool. Because what makes the new heaven and the new earth stunningly amazing is not that you get reunited with all the people you've lost in love, although that is great. It's not that all your tears are going to be wiped away. It's none of those things primarily. 
primarily is that you were made for God and now you have him with no sin. You can't imagine that day, but you ought to try. Get your head in the clouds. Think about the fact that that's your reality. You will live with God. You will dwell with him for all eternity in a place and in a canister that can enjoy him fully, finally, perfectly, forever. Forever. You people need to get more vocal. Can I get an amen? Like, come on, seriously, help me out. Help me. That's your future. That's your future. If you're, if you're in Christ, imagine it. If not, get in Christ. Receive Christ. Receive forgiveness. And then that will be your reality. Repent of your sins. Turn from your foolish ways. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and enjoy Him. Why? Because He's done everything to make that possible right now. We live in that time right now where you can receive pardon, where you can receive forgiveness, where you can receive Christ and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and grace lavished upon you right now. Even though in our brokenness and in this broken world, my man, I need help in my unbelief. But there will be a day when your faith will become sight and it will be stunning reality as it is right now. But you'll, you'll not question it anymore because it will be more real than the chair you're sitting on. That's your future. Full and final shalom. Perfect harmony between God and man. A bright future because of what Christ has done. On my best days, I can do it. On my best days, I can do this. I can, I can have my head there. You know what I mean? On my worst days, not so much. It's not always the case. That's why there's a song written by citizens that I, I thoroughly enjoy. And it speaks to this. I'm going to read the lyrics. You don't want me to sing. My wife does. If heaven's so close, then why does it feel so far away? I want to get out of here, but I'm still not ready to leave. Believing something's better ahead but the wait's not easy. We still have love to give. Will we share it while we're awake? So this begs the question, what will you do with your life until Jesus rips open the sky, steps into human history, and returns, or until you return because you've died here? And your spirit goes to be with him, your body stays in the ground, but there will be a day where the two will unite. What will you do? What do we do until that moment? Last point, Jesus will give us grace to live life to the fullest and love to the end. That's what you do. You live life to the fullest and you love to the end. Two things when Jesus had spoke of his return, he said many more than two things, but there were two primary things. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? He asked that. Will he find people trusting in him? And we'll, he said, but here's a concern, not that he's ever concerned. When the end comes, the love of many will grow cold. Has your love grown cold? I'm cynical by nature. It's not a spiritual gift, but it is reality. And it's, this last couple years is very difficult to not be cynical when you look at all the world around. It's hard work to keep the, the love within my heart stoked for the Lord and for people who want nothing to do with you. But that's what we're to do. 
We, I want us to love to the end. Make no mistake about it. That's that, The next 10 minutes, that's what we're going to talk about. Look at one text with me. Don't turn there. If you want, you can. You're an overachiever, though. Just listen. Romans 16, 20. Sword drill, go. The, the, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is Paul writing to the, the, the people in Rome, and he's saying that the God of all peace, will, think about that, the God of all peace will soon crush Satan. I thought he was peaceful. He is. That's how he brings peace. Under your feet. Who's the your? The church. This is how, this is how Christ sees his people. One. It's, it's like marriage. It's why the, the picture of marriage is even given. It's, one of the, it's the main reason the picture of marriage is given is to help you understand the stunning reality that you and I are in Christ. He thinks of you as one flesh. Therefore, when he tramps on Satan's head once and finally for all, you tramp on his head. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. That's your reality. There's no place you can go there won't be grace for you. You can't outrun the grace of God until he returns. He will give you everything you stunningly need to live the life he's called you to live, to be faithful and to be full of love on the day he returns. Do you believe that or do you even care? I hope you do. Jesus is the serpent crusher at the cross and upon his return... Notice, he says, we will crush his head together under your feet. We're part of the victory. How? How? Well, that's what we're going to answer over the month of January, just so you know. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about why For the City Church exists. Because I did not move here just to have a social club who gets together and goes, ho-hum. I had a social club that did that. There were more people in it, and I liked them. And I liked the house that didn't break because it wasn't 100 years old. This one breaks, and I'm not handy. Lord Jesus, give us handy people to help me. I moved here because the Lord had called us to this, to plant a church that's whole ambition and existence is to magnify Christ, make disciples, and God willing, multiply churches that will do the same thing so what do we do we love we love i want to keep this as simple as possible for you simply put to the day jesus returns you love not like the world talks about love we'll get into it more but i'm going to get into it a little bit today i'm going to share one story and it's this there are times in a church planner's life and and when i say a church planner, i don't just mean me i mean the people that moved here Okay, where you can think, why did we do this? Why did we do this? We're still small and seems so insignificant. But you've got to quit thinking that way because it doesn't do anything to serve you. And I want you to know, just because butts aren't in the seats doesn't mean God has not been faithful. And I was reminded of that again on December 31st as I was taking a walk and thinking about the sermon. And I meet my one neighbor friend who I can't tell you much about because my prayer is you're going to meet her sooner than later. And she just stops me and she says, Scott, I'm sorry I've been hiding from you. And I said, I'm sorry too because I didn't notice I mean, I knew she was somewhat strange with me. She says, it's, she goes, I, I just want you to know, it's, it's me, it's not you. She's a Christian woman. She's been disconnected from the church for a long time. Her, she has a lot of hurt. 
And I mean real hurt. Not like someone was rude to her. No, I'm talking just life-crutching hurt. And she said, and I just, you know, I've been doing things I know I ought not do, and I just can't look at you or your wife when that happens. She goes, but I want you to know something. I'm, I'm sober today. And I said, well, praise the Lord. And I said, that's all we got today. That's it. And she goes, but I want you to know that I, I was talking to another one of our neighbors, and she said, you know, my neighbors all hate me. And she says, no, that's not true. She goes, you've got to get to know Scott and Jess. Now, I do not tell you that so you think, oh, aren't you guys amazing? We're really not. Hang out with us more. You'll come to the same conclusion. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm dead serious. We're a wreck at times. We need grace, but we seek to love. We seek to open our home and our hearts to people, imperfectly for sure. But she says, you got to get to know them because I know they love you. She goes, I don't hardly know them. I know, but I know they love you because they love me, and I'm a train wreck. And I thought, if for nothing else, that was worth moving. What will your life be about? Your stuff, six-pack abs, kale falling out of your teeth, cash falling out of your pocket. What will your life be at the end of it? I can't think of any greater thing than when I... When I shed the mortal coil and I go to be with the Lord, he sought to love. That's what I want my life to be about. I want disciples who will follow me while I follow Jesus, who will make their life's ambition to love people made in God's image. And if you're like, well, I want to do that. Well, then we need you. We need you. We need you to roll up your sleeves. We need you to step into the reality that God's called us to do. I got so many great things I want to say. Not enough time. I'm going to roll them up over into this. Half my sermon's done for that one. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of things, though. Because I'm going to just go a tad long and no one here cares. And if you do, you can leave. We love you. So does Jesus. How do you tramp on Satan's head? The answer is love. So, first one, love Jesus. Satan suffers defeat every time someone joyfully obeys King Jesus in glad submission. That's tramp, right? That's a grape squashing under your feet. You should go read Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22 today and tramp on a grape with your bare feet. Do that. That's weird, I know. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow Christ in glad submission. That's a tramp on the serpent's head. That's a tramp. Two, love the church. And I don't mean the building. Although this is nice, right? We got the toilet paper thing there, and we got the little tree back there, and paint falling off the walls. But thank you, Lord, because we have a place to go and dwell and to worship on Sundays. That's answered prayer. What I mean by that, though, is Satan suffers defeat every time we gather to worship in faith and unity. Whether there's six of us, whether there's 16 of us, whether there's 60 of us, whether there's three, doesn't matter. He takes a suffering blow to the head. Believe that. Love the world. And I don't mean the physical whatever. I mean the people who are outside of Christ. Satan suffers defeat each time we invite our neighbors into our home and show them gospel hospitality around the table to love them, even if they never love you back or come to church. Can you still love them? If not, it's your agenda you love. It's not people. 
Satan suffers defeat every time someone puts their faith in him and escapes hell. That's why we came. That's why we're here. Primarily, that's why we're here, is to see lost people be saved. You know that we're part of his rescue plan. Jesus said to the apostle Paul, and so essentially saying to us, I am sending you to open eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Church, in the new year and until Jesus returns, let us eagerly anticipate the return of Christ and let us humbly and actively serve. Let, let us be about that. Right to the day we drop, let our lives be marked by the love of Christ. Receiving love, giving love. It's not more complicated than that. That is your life. How, how do I do that? In everything you do. I love racquetball. Good. Love racquetball. Play with someone else and love them too. Now do that with anything you do. Changing diapers. Change into the glory of God and love that little baby boy, baby girl. Adult boy? Adult. That's, that's not right. Because I'm going to be there if the Lord lets me live, probably. So, and sooner than later, I'm further down that road. I'm going to read one last verse and we're going to pray. Revelation 22 20 through 21. This is how the Bible ends. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Pause. You might be thinking, that was said a long time ago. It doesn't seem soon. I want you to know that in the eyes of the Lord, 2,000 years is it's a, it's a day, two days, technically. Why does he wait? The Bible's not silent. He's patient, longing for everyone to come to faith. That none may perish. Now, that's not going to be the reality, but that's his heart. He wants people to come and receive forgiveness of sins. Think of all the, every day that I am tempted with, gosh, I wish you'd come right now. I'm reminded there's people who I have shed my blood to die for that have not received Christ. You can wait. Labor with me. He continues on, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. Let's pray. May this hope encourage us to engage our broken city here in Greensburg, Lord. Oh, Father, help us to engage the city of Greensburg, not retreat from it. Jesus, help us to seek first your kingdom, to long for your return. Give us Spiritual taste buds that anticipate your return, that long for you, that thirst for you. Lord, give us the joy of the Lord and let that be our strength in 2022. Holy Spirit, fill us with a missional hope and a neighborhood love. God, help us to love others way more. Count them more significant than even ourselves. All the five 
Resolutions that I read for the world were all about self. Let us not be that way, Lord. Let us consider others more important than our own selves. Let us gladly lay down our lives in glad submission in the name of King Jesus to serve and to love the people you have put in our lives. King Jesus, be mighty to save the people within the city of Greensburg and around the world. Magnify yourself right here, right now, in this moment, in this time. Fill us with hope. Fill us with you. Fill us of good cheer. Let us be a people who walk through this broken world with a smile and a humble joy knowing how this all ends. Oh God, let us gladly give ourselves to you. Magnify the great name of Jesus here in the city of Greensburg in and through us. We ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.